Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is that you inky savages are joining us for episode number 156 of the Penboy Boy Pentertainment Podcast. Me and Tom are very excited to be here. We, we love doing these shows. We love doing them for you. Before we get started, before I start with anything else, I want to talk to you. I know you're, you think I'm about to talk about sponsors. No, I'm not. I'm not going to talk about sponsors. The first thing that I'm going to actually talk about is a very heartfelt thank you. I want to thank several people, including, let's see, who, who do we have here? I'm going to start with three anonymous donations to my buddy Eric, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago for his mental health awareness ride for ADHD. I'm going to leave the link in the description for donations below. ADHD has been something that had plagued my life and has caused me, it's caused me so many problems in my life. And the fact that I was able to have Eric on the show and open up donations to you guys and the fact that guys like Nathan donated and Penn Chalet, Luxury Brands of America, Anonymous Donators, I really do appreciate it. It means so much to me that you guys are just willing to make donations. A donation is a donation. It could be five bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks. It all means the world to me because you're not getting anything in return other than knowing that you're putting out something positive into the ether. And it, it's, it's such a warm feeling to see that my listeners are just going out of their way to do this. It's very much appreciated. I love you guys. I really do appreciate it. So I'm going to leave its link in the description below. Please make a donation if you can. And if you did, thank you. I want to thank Nathan for donating. That's, you know, you're awesome. This some guy named Tom. Tom Odu. Odo. Oh. <laughs> so obviously Tom made okay. a donation. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and he had to top my donation by a dollar, <laughs> which is hilarious. I was but, being altruistic and a dick at the same time. Yeah. I, lo- I love it. I love it. But <laughs> I just want to thank everybody for that. Going on to sponsorship plugs, make sure you check out in the description below the affiliate link to Gold Spot Pens. Please make your purchases at Gold Spot Pens using the affiliate link and use coupon code ODDO, O-D-D-O at checkout for an additional savings on all products on the Gold Spot website with some exclusions. Snobby brands. Yeah. Like, anyway. Like Novelor particularly because yeah. of the... Uh, uh, at, at this point, I believe the episode will come out after our major launch this week. Probably. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I'm confused. There's going to be a very special pen that's up on the Google well, by, by now they would have they would have known about it because oh they would have they will know sure. about it by now because this is episode 156. 155 yeah. is going to be the same day we launch the Pentertainment exclusive fountain pen. So nice. yeah, that's something uh, to check out there. Even yeah, if, definitely. Even Wait if a minute, they can't get the discount on it. They can't, can't discount. The... No, Wait a hold on a second. It's my exclusive pen. How come they can't discount it? Because it's going to end up taking money out of your pocket, my friend. <laughs> Wait a no, minute. Discount the pen. Discount the pen. Or is that like? Can you not do it? Like if, like, let this be like the special. And they're discount one of those brands. They're one of those brands. Sorry, dude. Oh, gosh. Had I known that, I would have went. They with could a still use brand. the affiliate code. They could still get rewards on it. Like, there's the gold spot rewards that you could do on it. There's just the reward of knowing. That you help. Oh man, I make podcast. fun of all. Plus, of you these... get a sticker. You get a sticker. yeah. You got a sticker. You get a free sticker. Yeah. Oh my god, I make fun of all these snobby brands, and it turns out my exclusive pen one, is one of those snobby yes, brands. One of your exclusive Eat pen my pen. words. Oh, Eat a word, Roy. Boy. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I asked I asked Bryce to update the sponsorship read. Is yours updated? Because mine is updated, but only halfway. <laughs> only halfway. <laughs> yeah, it's like he started writing it and then stopped halfway through. Do you see February twenty seventh? Uh, I don't know. Because um, this is going to come out after February twenty seventh, but but I'm going to read what he has so far. February twenty seventh. All right, the new endless pen companions are here to take your precious pens on an adventure. Available in two, three, or five pen, these new pen pouches are adjustable to fit pens of any size. Coming to a that's where it ends. So that's where yes, that's, that's where, where it's it just, it, that's, that's, where that's exactly where it terminates for me too. That's it. He was like in the middle of it. He must have like right. gotten a text message or a phone right. call, and then he was just like, "Oh, I'll get back to that." Well, you know, so this episode is gonna is gonna be the week after the episode with all the pen pouches anyway. So I'll talk a little bit about it since I was sitting in on your business meeting with yeah, you saw with that. them. These pen pouches are really cool. Let me tell you what they are. They're literally two, three, or five pen pouches, and some of them have credit card pouches in it too. But they, the pen pouch pouches themselves, they're like these little zip books. You open it up like a book, and inside are straps. Now, the straps are loops Looped that hold into the pens. the inside of the cover, right. yeah. But here's the crazy thing. I could take the Crusac pen, or I can take any pen, the skinny tool pen and after i put the pens in i can pull the strap and tighten all the loops so all the mm-hmm. pens are snug Freaking they're not awesome. individual elastic bands right it's, no it's one elastic band that's threaded through the inside of the cover so that way you could adjust them so that right one band could have more slack the other one could have be a little bit tighter exactly. so and then there's like a little slot right in the spine to throw in a cartridge or converter which is pretty handy yeah that is pretty cool so you can not only carry around your pens, you can carry around an extra cartridge or you can carry around an extra converter. I love it. And the quality of the leather is insane. Oh, We're talking so nice. serious. It's... You know what they? I think they do is they take all of the cows that you eat the rest of the meat for and then whatever's left over, they make them into the, the leather. Don't say this. stuff like that. People no. are going to hear that and believe it, man. No, but it's like <laughs> it's like the Wagyu of leather. And get this. There are other brands out there that make pen cases that aren't even real leather that cost double what these endless leather – these are legit, genuine leather cases. The endless pen companions, they're legit leather. They're actual, legit leather, yet they cost less than some of the pretend leather cases that are out there. Mm-hmm. And they got the chunky zippers. I like the chunky zippers. They got chunky that- zippers. Galen yeah. uh, uses uh, they they use those big old chunky zippers on the side that right. zip up the entire case. So. Right. So some okay. of the best pen cases I have ever seen, and real genuine leather to boot with adjustable straps for the pens. It's amazing. I don't even know the cost. Do you remember what the costs were? I think the most expensive one, it was it was like a five pen or six pen one. I think that was like fifty bucks MSRP. So and, are you sure? And they, and they were lower than that. Yeah, pretty sure. That's craziness. I mean, I don't quote crazy. me on don't quote us on the prices, but the prices are Not so yet. incredibly reasonable, f- especially for something genuine leather that well constructed. The stitching is legit. It's it's pretty awesome. I don't know Gold Spot. I was at, sitting in on the meeting. Oh yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll be they'll be there for sure. They'll be a, they'll be available and make sure to use coupon. Okay, code so I have the uh, so the five pen. I was right. The five pen was fifty dollars. Three pen forty five. Two pen 
forty dollars. That is so that is just extremely reasonable. Be in stock, I think, somewhat soon. So I would just mm. keep a lookout for that when they do arrive. That is incredible pricing for such legit stuff. Unreal. Fifty dollars for a five pen case. There there are there are pen cases out there, like I said, that are not even real leather. And they're in the hundreds. It's like mind boggling. I can't wait it's to get stuff. my hands on these. I'm definitely getting them. I'm I'm definitely the one I the ones I handled when we were at Gold Spot together when we shot last week's episode. I was impressed. I want to just start posting the pictures that I took, but he won't let me. Whatever. <laughs> What's with all the secrecy? It's not state secrets. We're not we're not selling nuclear codes here. It, it, they're pen cases and pens. Like what's with the Oh, I can't talk about it until the whatever. BRLCoffeeco.com. Check out my good friend Neil at BRLCoffeeco.com. Check out your favorite bean, your favorite cook, your favorite roast. Check out all the cool swag. And make sure to use coupon code ROY at checkout for an additional savings on all products on the BRLCoffeeco.com website. Please check them out. They got fantastic coffee. I love it. Different strengths. The strongest one is just smooth. The strongest one is a blonde roast, my favorite, called Kiss of Life. Has the strongest content of caffeine, but doesn't give you the crackhead jitters, which is really awesome. Tom, he likes what? Chanel? Chanel was good. I also had a couple of other ones that was closer, uh, which I thought was really good. It was a, it was a dark roast. There was uh, Love Sick with the dollar symbol in the mm-hmm. S. Um, that was another dark roast, very strong, um, you know, flavor wise. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Chanel was nice though because they they all had a depth of flavor that is not your usual either Dunkin' Bowl and Basket or Starbucks where it could be like so roasty it's overburnt right um it 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 had like even at the lighter roasts it had a lot of flavor uh, sure like i did french press for all of them so i sure. did like a coarse coarse grind french press i got a whole sampler pack which just had enough to make basically like a french press pot and a half right you know so it but like it gave me a great kind of like tour and i love sampling you know i'm big on sampling things so i i had a nice sampling of all the different flavors and enjoyed mm. all of them i don't think there was a, a you know a bad one out of the batch so good i'm glad to hear that so and i am PRL... not getting paid for that testimony either no so. he's not i am but, <laughs> but thank you for that but check out again gold spot pens using the affiliate link in the description below use coupon code auto at gold spot pens please keep your eye out for the endless companion one of the best cost-effective, and highest-quality pen cases out there on the planet, in the ether, in the universe. Probably the best and most inexpensive pen case ever created in the history of anything ever created ever. And finally, brlcoffeeco.com, the greatest, best coffee ever created in the history of anything ever created ever at brlcoffeeco.com. Now, once again, thank you for joining us for episode number 156. We have our good friend Mario and Michael they are the owners of the New York Metropolitan Pen Show, and they are here to give you information and insight into the pen show and just give you some – have a fun discussion on how they plan to bring one of the smaller pen shows to the forefront of the pen show world. Mario may have had a few hiccups with his connection here and there, but overall – don't worry. It was an excellent episode. Listen, these are these are our elders. We were respectful. Mm-hmm. And just keep in mind that technology is, you know, 
doesn't quite come like as naturally as it does to us. Right, so. right. So and we've been know, doing this for a long time. We have, this, right? You know, and and it, and also here. Mario was kind of blindsided. He didn't expect to be doing this today. Yes. He was. I didn't know he was doing it today. I thought it was just Michael. And then Michael told him twenty minutes before, so he had to scramble. He had to figure whatever. But anyway, it was a good episode. Thanks again for joining us. The longest intro to the podcast ever. I think this. I think this marks the longest one. <laughs> but before we get started with this week's episode of the Pen Boy Roy Entertainment Podcast, this podcast is not scripted and therefore will contain potty mouth words both from Tom and I. So before warned, you have been warned. Now, on to the podcast. The Pen Boy Roy Entertainment Podcast. Stage 7. And we're excited to be here today on this glorious March, whatever day of the week it is. And this is going to be episode number 156, like I said. And today we have very special guests, not one but two guests. Today we have with us a Mr. Mario A. Campa and a Mr. Michael A. Bloom. Who are these gentlemen, you say? Why do they seem familiar? It might be because you ran into them at pen shows. Could it be pen shows in the East Coast, say the formerly known as Long Island Pen Show, currently known as the Metropolitan Pen Show? If that's what you're thinking, then yes, you are 100% correct. Mario A. Campa and Michael A. Bloom are the owners and the facilitators of the formerly known Long Island Pen Show, which myself and the Odd Oink have gone to and met these gentlemen, and that's how we ended up doing this podcast. So thank you, Mario and Michael, for joining us, and for everybody watching, Michael is the gentleman with the red shirt, and Mario is the gentleman in the fine gray sweater which is just such an appropriate looking sweater for the occasion that we are doing today i'm only saying that because mario was not actually entirely ready for the podcast today he was kind of given 20 minutes notice by his good friend michael and he had some apprehensions about his attire and i told him your attire is absolutely fine you're worried about wearing a gray sweater on a show about pens. Well, mm-hmm. let me tell you right now, Mario, you look just fine. Yeah, I got a Street Fighter shirt on right now. Right. So. The Odd Oink has Street <laughs> Fighter sh- shirt on. But the guys, thanks for being here. I, I want, I've got so much I want to talk to you and ask you questions about with regard to the show. But before we do that, I'm going to start with Mario. I want to just talk a little bit about both of you guys. Can you tell us and tell everybody watching and or listening how you got into fountain pens and then how is it that you got into pen shows and how you met your buddy? And then we'll switch over to your buddy. Go ahead, Mario. All right. We only have an hour. So uh, <laughs> how I got into pens. I have had an affection for writing instruments for most of my life. Um, it stems back to uh, I'm, I'm going to have to admit that I was in school through the transition from fountain pens to ballpoints. That's about the time I was in grammar school. And uh, one friend and I in class were the last two holdouts. We were not enamored with ballpoints and we just were not ready to give up our fountain pens. Um, And people purported that it was the thing to do because they didn't blow up and that was the furthest thing from the truth. And the worst thing was if, if a ballpoint blew up, that ink didn't come out. The fountain pen ink you could mm-hmm. at least wash out. So, um, so I have that. Can you just story. give us real quick? What year was this? Just so everybody has a better idea. What year was it that you guys held out? 
Roy, that's that's not polite of you at all. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say we're probably. He doesn't really know us. So. Uh, yeah, that I think we're looking at uh, certainly very early '70s. Um, you know, this mm. transition to to ballpoints would have started to get really popular around '72 or or maybe '73-ish. Wow. So that's yeah, interesting. You, you saw the you saw ballpoints in the '60s, but they weren't really that. There was no push for them. By the time we got past mm -hmm. 1970, um, you know, they got to be more popular. I think the companies were pushing them much harder. And, um, you know, certainly administration and schools were starting to support the idea because then you couldn't take, you know, I, you won't remember this, but, you know, there was ink fights. You used to be able to squirt. That's why people loved PFMs. I mean, you could squirt ink across the room when you had a PFM. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of teachers like the idea of going to ballpoints because that kind of shenanigans just went away. But, uh, mm -hmm. oh, then it gets replaced so, by something else entirely. They always find ways of kids always find ways of doing shenanigans. So. Right. Wait, really quick. You're you're using acronyms that I don't think I've heard before. PFM. I'm assuming that's piston filling mechanism. Wow. No, you know what? No, that's men. not true. But that was damn good. Roy, I got to say, I, I, I'm impressed. It actually stands for okay. pen for men. Um, the pen for men is one of my very favorite Schaefer's ever made. Actually, it was uh, released in the sixties. Oh, okay. And uh, PFM was the acronym for pen for men. It was uh, a larger mm. style crest that has a snorkel filling system. Oh, Tom, did you know that? Because as soon as I asked the question, you were shaking your head no. What? Ask what question? When I asked him what PFM was, it, no, I answered. I said pen for men. But oh, know, you knew that. Me. Yeah, I, I knew that. Oh, yeah. how did you know that? You're like 12 years old. <laughs> you're like a 12 year old like with a, few a beard. Years younger than you are, Roy. <laughs> yeah, well, you're still in your 30s, though. No, so, I'm not in my 30s anymore. How old are you now? I ventured out of there. I'm 40 now. Oh, good for you. You're really yeah. old. All right, going yeah. back to you, Mario. Roy, that was going back really to you. Good. So you, I'm sorry. If he's really <laughs> old at 40, what are you telling me me and Mike are, for God's sake? <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to I'm going to keep I'm going to have Tom keep a tally. And every time I say something rude, you guys are going to give me a dime. I'll end up with like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, Mario, going back, you were talking about you were the last holdout. When um, millions of years ago in the 1970s, when, when the fountain pens were just on the verge of extinction and you were the last holdout. And yeah. go ahead. Continue from there. So I, I, I don't remember when I finally threw in the towel, but I remember taking my stance and holding out for a while. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things that has mm -hmm. stuck with me through my life and. Um, I will tell you that I used predominantly Schaefer um, student pens back then, and I always, almost mm -hmm. always carried ones that were translucent, so I could see how much ink was left in my cartridge. I just, I couldn't stand running out of ink while I was writing something, and I felt like an idiot if I did it. So, so I carried, I, I, my right. favorites were, I had one that was all clear, one that was trans blue, and one that was trans gray. And that was basically my arsenal of pens uh, through grammar school. So anyway, I eventually mm -hmm. threw in a towel and, and uh, never really lost my affection for fountain pens. But 
I guess I kind of gravitated away from the culture of it. Um, so we're going to fast mm. forward a whole bunch of years, uh, guys. And how many? Um, uh, so let me bring you up to um, two thousand and three or four. So we're going up thirty years. Okay, so we're talking. We're, That's a big jump. So almost thirty. So be. You got peer pressured into doing the wrong thing in school and yep. switching from fountain <laughs> pens to ballpoint pens. And yep. the peer pressure was so immense that you had to cave and you had to give in. Man, good thing they weren't push pressuring you to do drugs. So then you caved for 30 years. What brought you back? So I, uh, I owned a store that was pretty eclectic. My store had a department that specialized in string instruments, and the largest oh, okay. department specialized in high-end audio, high-end audio and video. But we really were a two-channel audio uh, store. That's what we did. It was music making okay. on one side and, and music listening on the other, and that sign was at the top of the staircase, pointing to the two doors to get into the building. Mm -hmm. So um, as the company grew obviously we took on more employees and I needed a second salesman in the audio department um, on a full-time basis because at that point we had a second guy who was rotating part-time and the gentleman who eventually got the job was an avid and I mean rabid fountain pen collector and after working okay. with, with me for a, maybe a couple of months and, and not more at all he uh, he was suggesting that we should start looking at carrying fountain pens in the store. And, and I was enamored with the thought because I'd never really lost my affection for fountain pens. But I also was so mm -hmm. far removed that I didn't realize there was such an avid constituency of people who were, you know, convening to talk about and look at pens. I really enjoyed the idea of that. But at that point, we were dealing with guitars and basses and accessories and a plethora of audio equipment. And I dealt with high end watches and I was looking at another industry to get the store involved in. And I basically said his name coincidentally was also Mike. I was like, Mike, I, I can't really take on another addiction at the moment. Um, that's going to have to take a back burner. And he never gave up. Mm -hmm. And after about two or two and a half years, he finally convinced me to go to a fountain pen show. He's just like, look, just come take a look at it. And, you know, you mm -hmm. don't have to, you know, you don't have to jump in, just dip your toe in the water, basically, is what he was getting at. So I went to uh, Stephen Marianne's show when it was over in New Jersey. That was in 2006. Mm -hmm. um, and, if, and coincidentally, this is going to lead into what I'm quite certain Michael's going to share with you. So that was the very first show I went to, and uh, I shouldn't have done it, to tell you the God's honest truth, because it was just another rabbit hole that I did not need to jump into. But but I loved right. seeing the culture. Um, at that point, I'd been doing this kind of business long enough. Everything I've ever done professionally since I graduated from school has focused on the upper crust of any industry, the top 20%, because that's where you find two things that, that I really enjoy a lot. One is the fanaticism of the 
user, whether it's a collector or a user, these people are very, very passionate about what they're doing. And that fuels has always fueled me. On the other side of that coin, you find the people who are the most passionate about what they're making. And I will tell you that throughout my career, I have seen men and women who have left very prestigious, very high paying jobs. You know, I'm talking about like, you know, chief engineer for AT&T to give you a particular example of someone who I was a friend of mine who left to go start a, mm-hmm. a company in this an industry that they were really, really passionate about. Uh, oh, so not necessarily of, fountain pens, but you're talking about any other in general, industry. I'm talking about in general. So when I yeah. came to the show, I'm just leading up to when I came to the show, I felt like I could instantly identify with the people who were there, both the vendors and the attendees mm-hmm. who had this same level of fanaticism mm-hmm. and the same level of passion for pens that I had seen in the other industries I was already doing business in. And that's what I Mm -hmm. immediately fell in love with. The pens were gorgeous. And I, I have my collection is 80 or 90 fountain pens at this point. I love them to death, Mm -hmm. but that's not really what grabbed me. What grabbed me was this constituency of people who are just so strongly enamored with the pens and the pen community. And that's really what got me in in 2007. Right. So I was at it, my first it also, I'm, I'm assuming it, it also had to have had a lot to do with the fact that you yourself had a love for fountain pens in the past. Because I can imagine if you didn't, then regardless of that fanaticism or regardless of the passion that the people showed, you probably wouldn't have been into it. Like, like for example, if your friend, your coworker brought you to an anime convention and you're not into comic books, you probably wouldn't invest your whole the rest of your life into it just because of the passion right perfectly true it's absolutely perfectly true i think it was because i already had a predisposition for it that's why he got me to a show i mean if he was talking about an industry right that i had no interest in i probably never would have gone in the first place it was a perfect you know I, it makes me it makes me wonder yeah it makes me wonder if the fountain pen industry didn't pick back up again I think it was like the late 80s. I think Dante Del Vecchio had a big play in that. But if it didn't pick up and you went to the show and the show was lame and then the show was very pale and boring and there were there weren't a lot of people. Are you saying that had that been the case, you wouldn't be where you are now? I, I'd have to say that it was a, that's at least plausible. That That's at mm-hmm. least plausible. I mean, I, I, had, I had the predisposition for the pens. But it really was the people that Mm. led me to take the next step to consider the sensibility of actually acquiring enough inventory to get a table at a show. Right. So so the the passion and seeing that there is people that you can connect with, because I think that's in the end, that's everything that people want. They want to be passionate about someone and something and be and be able to share that with other people and connect with them. And because that was there, this is where you were encouraged. Is that yeah, is that absolutely. fair? Oh, okay. So I'm assuming this is at this point in time, you didn't start obviously you didn't start the ownership of the Long Island Pen Show yet, correct? No, no, that that would still be a long way off. Michael and I okay. 
probably, you know what, I, I want to say to you that there's a possibility we would have met at the show that I just told you about, but he and I didn't really get acquainted until a couple of years later. Um, we were neighbors at the Los Angeles Pen Show. Um, mm -hmm. Mike, I don't, I can't say that I really remember. I think it was oh eight or nine or maybe as late as ten when you and I were neighbors in L.A. Do you, you remember? You don't remember. You don't remember the basement of the hotel. Oh God, Times Square. But that was okay, wasn't that later? Didn't we meet in L.A. No. first? We, we Hold on a second. Did. What what happened in the basement of the Times Square Hotel? <laughs> oh, boy. What kind of what kind of, uh, oh, boy. I, I don't know if Mario's going to be happy with me saying this, but <laughs> we we were in the basement of the hotel. Okay, uh, this is about fifteen years ago. In the worst room known to mankind, it hadn't been opened in about twenty years. Okay, but the Zuckers rented it because it was reasonable. And you had to walk down in the lobby of this hotel into the basement, I swear, into the basement. And it was so hot in that basement that they had fans trying to blow air in from both sides. And mm -hmm. there were more vendors than there were people. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I ever saw a pen sell for around $20,000. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember what pen that was? Yes, I do. It, it was an Aztec. Okay, mm. and it was a full covered Aztec that was sold in the balcony, which I witnessed from a distance. Mm -hmm. And it was probably sold for a little less than $20,000. Okay. Wow. And but listen, Mario and I were in this basement watching this go down in the distance. Okay? Uh huh. And the same guy that sold the $20,000 pen came downstairs with a whole box of pens that Mario bought. <laughs> okay. And I'm standing behind him going, like shaking my head, don't get involved in these pens because there were so many issues with them. But Mario bought them, okay? And, you know, it was a learning experience for Mario. But it was also the last show that the Zuckers did in the city, okay? Mm -hmm. they, they just couldn't keep it up. You know, it, it, it didn't work. And mm -hmm. they, were, they were lovely people who really spent a lot of their passion and times, you know, buying pens. Mm -hmm. And um, he owned the uh, New York show. I see. And he gave it to me, okay, and my partner, Terry Brack. And we took that show to Hofstra because mm -hmm. Terry was a professor at Hofstra. Okay. So we, got, we got the room at Hofstra through, through Terry. So it was a way of us kind of taking the pen away from New York, the pen show away from New York City, which was ridiculously expensive. The Zuckers lost thousands of dollars, okay? And they both passed away, unfortunately. I'm sorry, who, who is the Zuckers? The Zuckers were people who were passionate pen people who um, were involved in many of the early uh, pen companies bringing pens into New York and the metro, you know, European pens. They, they were involved in it. And they mm -hmm. represented three or four of the companies that were there. And Marianne, unfortunately, at that show was was failing. And and Steve, um, you know, lost her. And then he just didn't have any interest in doing the shows anymore. And I Wait, felt I'm sorry. So yes. Steve and Mary were married. They were the Zuckers? Yes, they were the Zuckers. Steve and then Mary she, and Marianne. Then she died. And then after that, he lost any steam in doing this. I guess that's the best way of putting it. Okay. And then he, what he did was he used to come to our show, 
okay, you know, where, where Terry Brack and I used to have the show, and he would set up, and he tried to get rid of kind of uh, almost like a, an annuity plan, you know, to, to, to be able to sell some of the pens to be able to exist, basically, okay? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, he used to come um, every year, and uh, he came from Brooklyn, and he came out to Long Island, and he was a very, very sweet man, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he... He was the guy who, uh, the, the, the original Long Island Pen Show was established at Hofstra University because uh, Terry Brack had a, a, a room at, at the, the science pavilion there and we used to have a meeting there once a month and we would show all the old movies of the Schaefer Pen Company. When Schaefer did, um, during the day they made gyroscopes for the Air Force and at night they manufactured pens. And they had a, it was almost um, a propaganda film, which they showed, but we, we watched it and it was absolutely, imp I wish we had it so we could, you know, give it to you the show and because it, it was unbelievable how, uh, you know, it, it, it showed the, the history of World War II, basically, and uh, it would played out in, in the Schaefer Pen Company, okay, which mm. I, I thought was fascinating to see, but we had some passionate people who were involved in that club. And we had meetings there for three or four years uh, uh, before um, we had to move it out of there and Terry moved it out of there. But we had a club of about 25 let me Let me interrupt you for one second. You keep talking about Terry. Terry, yeah. who's Terry? Terry Brack, who was a professor at Hofstra. He was a, a physics professor at Hofstra. He was my partner in the show, okay? But he was originally went to school out in Tucson and that's where he is right now, okay? He moved okay. back to Tucson. Uh, and he, you know, he was uh, uh, very involved in the show and had a lot to do with the show. But, you know, he just ran out of gas, to be truthful with you. And he left. Okay. okay. So he's not part of it anymore? No. No. Oh, okay. and, and, and then I turned around and I said, I need somebody who's young and creative. And, uh, you know, and Mario was always around. Okay. And I figured we'd open, I'd open it up to Mario. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to go on long time after I'm not involved in it. So you have to find somebody young and enthusiastic who's gonna uh, you know, move it into the next direction. And mm. we hope that's where it's gonna go. You know? Okay, cool, that's, that's cool. So it's kind of, uh, you kind of gave us a brief idea of how you guys got together, but I wanna just give you a little bit of time just to talk a little bit about you. So you were born in 1947. Correct. Okay, and I think- This is, this is probably gonna- freak you out because I saw some of the stuff that you were doing on some of your other shows. I was a special ed teacher for 40 years. Okay. And I used fountain pens to work with the kids that I taught. Oh, yeah. And I used to bring in seven or eight big reds, fill them up with ink. And as Mario said, it was just watch the ink all over the room. You know, it was, <laughs> and the kids loved it because they ne never wrote with something that was so expressive. And mm -hmm. that's what kind of turned me on to, you know, to, to get more involved in, in this stuff. So in the fountain uh, pens, it was, it was, it was amazing to watch kids who really didn't care about education at all. But when they got a fountain pen in their hand, they had just a good time, you know, playing around with it and, and, and getting ink all over everybody and everything. You know, <laughs> you know I'm, we've, we've, we both have had some very unique situations that, you know, tell you a little bit about the fountain pen industry you know mm -hmm. somebody i know called me up one day and said where do you live and i told him on long island and he said i'm coming to your house and bring your truck i said okay and we went around the corner to a house that was abandoned and in the backyard 
there were 50 cases of Quink and, and uh, Schaefer ink sitting in the backyard hmm. that no one had ever touched in 25 years. Wow. And, and we, we took that ink to a, to a show and everybody bought it and everybody keeps asking me, can I have some more of that ink? It, it was amazing because it was 1940s and 50s ink that was still good today. You know? Wow. They don't make ink like they used to. Nowadays, no. the, the, the popular stuff all smell like butthole at some yeah, point in time, somehow. It's close to that, or it all gets uh, uh, filled with, with um, all sorts of crap that, you know, that, that grows in the bottles. But the old stuff, the Parker Quink, and, and the interesting thing was there was about 50 bottles of the old school ink, the big you know, gallon things with a little pouring that they used to pour into the inkwells. And um, Gary Lira, who passed away a couple of years ago, he loved that ink. And every time I saw him, he wanted more bottles of it because it was it was incredible. You know? So how would you how would you say Quink Ink today, Parker's Quink Ink today, compares to the Quink Ink of yesteryear? Um, I'm, I'm going to beg Elf on that particular question because I think I think the formula is pretty similar, but the old stuff just seems to be you know just so much better. In fact, I have a in my office, I have a, a bottle of the old stuff, and I lo- like using that much better than the more modern stuff. So the modern stuff is shit. You could just say it. it's cool. We're good on this show. You could say whatever you feel. <laughs> I, I do, but I know some of the people who manufacture ink in their bathtubs right now. And, and Really? And Mario will laugh about that because we both know that there, mm-hmm. there have been people who you know, spent the whole night before they went to a show making ink. And then passing out at the show and have to be rescued by a certain doctor that we know, you know, because they. All right, so we can't talk about that story without details. Start over. <laughs> you know somebody that was making ink in a bathtub all night long. Yes. yes. Overworked themselves, showed up to the show selling the ink, and then <laughs> passed out. Tell me not to say a word about. It. Yes, exactly. And, and Who was this person? It was at the. <laughs> I, I I will tell you privately, but I won't. Okay. Okay. It's somebody who's still making ink today, so I don't want to give him away. But walked into a show in Boston and just passed out on the floor. Okay. And we, oh, all, wow. ran, we all ran to help him and get him. And he got up and he was dressed in a, I think a tuxedo, Mario, wasn't it? It was something like that. Uh, you know, I, it was, I, it was a suit at least. Things. He was dressed. A suit. Yes, he was dressed. And, and he was making ink in his bathtub. Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. I think I know who it is. At least yeah. one doctor at almost every event. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bonus about a, a an industry well, like ours. Hmm. Hey, really quick, M- Michael, if you could do me a favor, you're gonna you're gonna make me throw up if you keep moving your camera I'm like sorry, that. I'm, I moved yeah. on the bed. Yeah. And everybody know. watching is 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 <laughs> like gonna throw up into a, a barf bag I'm right sorry. now. Yeah. If you could just keep it still, appreciate that. All right. So. Once you and Terry split ways because Terry just lost steam, I mean, I I don't want to speak too much on that because he's not here. Do you still talk to Terry, first of all? Like, are we going to, like, shoot? Occasionally, I still speak to him. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, he just, he he, he was a college professor and he Mm -hmm. loved his job and he worked very, very hard as a college professor and having to deal with a show w- was kind of difficult for, for both of us mm-hmm. okay and 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 he just like i said he lost steam and he decided that he was just going to leave and one day he just dissolved the corporation that we had 
and uh, move to Arizona and up in the. Uh, I mean, I just the only reason I'm asking and I'm staying on on something like this is like everything that we do that's a passion project, right? Is things that we do because we love it and we invest everything into it. And I feel as though if if I had a passion project that I was so passionate about and I decided, you know what, I lost steam in it, just to dissolve it out of the blue seems almost self-destructive right so was it was it that he lost passion you guys weren't getting along and he just wanted to be gone is that the situation or i don't i don't think that that was the issue i think more of it was the fact that he was teaching summers he was teaching Mm -hmm. holidays he was teaching all i taught all the time too but i didn't teach at the level that he did and he was teaching college physics and i think he lost interest in doing that i think he it 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 just petered out for him and he needed to get you know he wanted to go up to uh tucson arizona which i would like to do all the time also and and Mm -hmm. spend time up in the the foothills of of of, you know arizona and not have responsibilities that you know that that he had to deal with every day he drove from long island from all the way out in Suffolk County in, into Queen, uh, into you know, you know Hofstra every day with the traffic, and the traffic really beat him, beat him up. Oh, so you're so, saying he just he just wanted to just be gone with everything. He just wanted out. to just you know, retire, just, relax. He just called up and said, "Look, I, I dissolved the corporation. Um, I really miss it." Okay, but I I, I just have to. Move so, on. how involved were you with the corporation when he did that? Well, we were, you know, we were we were half interests in both, uh, you know, both of us. And uh, so, wouldn't that was that upsetting for you? Just to yeah, have... it was that all of a sudden he disappeared, and and uh, the club kind of disappeared. The club was mm-hmm. a very healthy club on Long Island. We had about forty members of it, mm-hmm. and uh, and also to be truthful with you, a lot of people got to be in their seventies and older, and they and they themselves lost interest in in what they were doing they wanted to make life a little bit simpler for themselves mm. so, they, so the long island pen show now named the the metropolitan pen show correct sure. new york okay metropolitan. the new york metropolitan pen show the as it stands it's not the same thing that it was when you and terry had it it's completely different obviously because you you just said that he dissolved the whole thing so you had to pretty much bring it back from scratch no we, we had the you know COVID came along and Hofstra would not allow us to do a show for a year and a half. Mm. And they were adamant about it. Okay. Mm. When some of the other places opened up, Hofstra would not. Right. Okay? And they were very vociferous about not allowing us to do the show there. In fact, the vociferous. last show we did, last show we did there, mm-hmm. when it closed at four o'clock, Hofstra closed for almost a year at 430. Mm. Was that in 2020? March yes. of 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we walked out, my wife and I walked out, and the security guard said, I'm glad you're leaving. We have to get all the kids out of the dorms, and, and we're closing the school down. Wow. So that was a, a very shocking thing. We had a very nice show that day. It was, you know, people were there, and then, you know, it, the shit hit the fan, as, as, as you know, you, you'd have to say. And it disappeared off the face of the earth for about a year and a half. Yeah. And in fact, we did the show in the in the um, in the fall this year only because we didn't have a show for a year and a half before, and we wanted not to lose the impetus of having people come to the show. 
know. And then Mario came along, and Mario's uh, vision is to make it bigger and better and make it one of the biggest shows that we can possibly make. Okay? I love that idea because you know how many friends I have in the industry who are distributors who don't go to that show. For me, it's such an important show because it's in my neck of the woods. I live in New York. Right. And obviously, Kenro Industries will be there because they're in Long Island. That's their, that's their home turf, right? That's their stomping grounds. They'll go to that show. But, you know, you have guys out west. You have guys like Yaffa Brands. They, they don't come to the Long Island Pen Show. You have luxury brands of America. They don't come to the Long Island Pen Show. And it's just such, it's such a shame. And when I ask them why, the answer is always, well, it's a really small show. So my question here is, I understand because of Terry, the professor from Hofstra, your former partner, Michael, you had some allegiance to Hofstra University because you had access to it. But what, what year was it that Terry left and dissolved the organization? He left in 2020. Oh, okay. It was 2020. So it was actually very recent. Yes. Okay. Okay. So then are but we going to, I also want to make a point to you because we're looking vociferously for another venue. Okay. But the problem is the, the cost of the venues is really ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we went to a place in the village and they wanted $18,000 a day. Ooh. Okay. And they wanted $6,000 to clean the room that night and yeah. another $6,000 for security. Okay, and that that that's you know when you're charging ten dollars admission or twelve dollars admission, it's a lot of people you got to get in the door to, to make it up. So I mean, you're you're throwing numbers. Everybody has no idea if that's a lot or if that's a little because there's nothing to base it against. What is the cost? Mario, when it's... Mario will give you a, a, a you know a, an idea. Okay, about you know because we we are looking and constantly looking, and we have people out on, in the street looking for another you know another venue that we can get. The thing about Hofstra, truthfully, is, is two positives, one or three. The cost, number one. Second is the fact that the parking is free. Right. And the third, the third is that there's a magnificent food court that people can walk out and get, and get food and coffee and whatever they want right out the door. Okay. Let's, also, let's, let's switch over to Mario real quick. So I was just curious about cost. So, $16,000 a day plus $6,000 for maintenance and then what was it 6,000 for security deposit which you you're, you're going to get back so let's not put that in there so no, oh, no, they no, keep no. Security? they keep security No he said $6,000 for security not a security deposit Oh wow so so what do they have henchmen with like M4s yes. standing around the building, like six thousand. So I can tell you right now, that's probably a lot. Like, what, what, what kind of security are you providing? <laughs> like, is it presidential security? But okay, so let's say twelve thousand dollars for maintenance and security, sixteen thousand dollars for just the rental. A Nobody day. has any idea if that a day. Nobody I, has any idea how expensive that is. Can you give us an idea of what it costs at Hofstra University or in or somewhere? What is not expensive, rather? What okay. is reasonable? May I? Sure. So I'm going to take this back a few minutes when we were talking about the basement in Manhattan. There okay. are challenges that exist in the city of New York mm -hmm. that are fairly specific to New York City. 
I mean, you see similar kinds of things in San Francisco and in Chicago, but nowhere is it as, you know, ingrained as it is right here where we are. And it makes doing okay. an event here incredibly expensive. Like, you can't imagine what it costs a promoter to rent out the Javits Center. Because in addition to the cost of the hall, let me give you, I'm going to take you back to this. I want to give you an example that blew me away. When you want to load into a building in the city, there is a union for a bus boy, uh, not, I'm sorry, not a bus boy, for a, a bellhop that takes your product from the vehicle to the lobby. He is not allowed to take that that wheel cart anywhere beyond the lobby. You then need another bellhop to take the mm -hmm. cart from the lobby to wherever it is you're going in the building. So I'm giving you one simple example of just the challenge. Like I'm imagining that you guys travel a fair amount and I would also imagine you'd never ever anywhere saw the necessity to have a personnel change in the hotel lobby in order to get your luggage cart to a spot in the building. Those are the kinds of things right. that you're dealing with with the unions in New York City. So okay. so be cognizant, and also I'd like your, your listeners to be cognizant that in addition to the actual cost of the room, the cost of doing business in the city, like everything is completely a la carte. You do not get a dinner with vegetables right. and a carbohydrate and an, and an aside salad in Manhattan. Right, right. Everything, you know, so there's the cost of the room and then there's the cost of electricity. Then there's the cost of Wi-Fi. Then there's the cost of a microphone if you want to use the PA system. God forbid you want a television. Then, like I said, there's, you know, there's porters to, to move something for 30 feet. Then you need another porter to go the next 30 feet. So the add-on costs on top of the cost of the room is what really starts to bury you. Um, to okay. answer your prior question a little bit more directly, I will give you a, a perspective. Normally, a pen show in, in most areas, and of course, you understand that, you know, doing a show in some cities is considerably less expensive. You know, it's not as expensive to put a oh, show sure. in Orlando as it is to do in San Francisco. Right. We understand that. 100 percent. Sure. OK. But um, I would say that most promoters are looking for a venue that is in the 20 to maybe the outskirts of $25,000 for the cost of three days to do the show. So most shows okay. you'll have, you know, part or all of Friday and then Saturday and Sunday. So you're looking for something in the low 20. Okay. To do something okay. in Manhattan, the room itself, you're already in excess of 40. And that's before any of the add-ons that are mandated. And if you want to get something out of the right. kitchen, man, you better write a big, you better be able to write a big check. You know, coffee can be like $600 a pot. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. So the challenge that Mike and I had, and, um, let me say that our conversation for the show actually predated the phone call of him saying, I'm ready for you to join me. Because we had, Terry had told Mike a couple of years earlier that his departure was probably imminent in several years. 
Now, I would suggest mm-hmm. to you that the pandemic probably accelerated his exit. But Mike okay. came to right. me a couple of years earlier and said, you know, Terry has already told me he's looking at retiring at some point. Are you interested in joining me? And the reason he I believe the reason he did that was because I had been talking to Stephen and Marianne about partnering to bring the New York show to White Plains, which you may remember is where I live. And I had promoted shows in the guitar industry in White Plains in the past. So I have had experience with dealing with, you know, local people, you know, and the accessibility of Manhattan to White Plains is also great. It's a 35 minute train ride. If you take the express, I liked the idea. And Michael was privy to the fact that Stephen and Marianne and I were talking about that as a possibility. And, uh, Uh you know, they're they're leaving us. Marianne's getting sick and leaving us really happened right as we were looking to book a venue in, in White Plains. So that really absolutely coincided time wise. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, it's frustrating for me that not only the largest city in the country, but truly one of the great cities of the world survives with this local event that is the was the Long Island Pen Show. One of the reasons Michael and I decided to change the name last year was to make make that a launch pad, let people understand our intent to bring that show into the more national forum so that we could be viewed as another DC and LA and 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 San Fran and and the other shows in the country that as you had said, Roy, people are willing and eager to travel to both vendors and attendees. You know, we're kind of at the mm-hmm. moment seen as a regional show. But it's not that Michael and I don't have the desire or the passion or the willingness to put the time and work in to grow the show. It's it's like we just can't find somewhere to do it that, you know, like Mike said before, it, it, you know, we're not going to risk losing our butts. It's uh, it's not possible to have a sixty seventy thousand dollar bill and put on a pen show. You know, like people are not buying ten twenty thousand dollar booths. The tables we sell right. are under three hundred dollars a piece. How many tables right. do you have to possibly sell, and how many tickets do you have to sell in order to recoup sixty grand? And that's just from your perspective as the promoters of the pen show. Imagine if you had to upcharge, imagine a table for Goldspot, Tom's employers, was $1,200. How many pens does he have to sell to make that up? Yeah. Right? So it's in order for you to, I don't think, I agree with you. I don't think that New York City is the best option. I think. I think in a fantasy world, New York City is the perfect place because it's the mecca of the world and transportation, all these things about New York City that make it so great. But I think because a cup of coffee and a roll of toilet paper is $25,000 in New York City, it just doesn't seem feasible, especially this is not the E3. This is not E3. This is not a game show, video game show where, you know, budgets are in the millions and millions of dollars. Why not something like, even though it's not New York, why not something like New Jersey, where space mm-hmm. and property is cheaper? Zucker's show was in New Jersey for a couple of years, right by Newark Airport. 
Okay. okay? And the hotel was lovely. Don't misunderstand me. Mm-hmm. But people didn't come to the show. They didn't. First of all, the hotel charged 12 bucks for parking. Okay. And the admission was $10. I'm, I don't remember what it was. But before they walk in the door, it was $25. Now, they had people come to the show. Don't misunderstand me. But no more than we had coming to the Long Island show. Okay. And the, the people that came, yes, they did have some international people who came. But they didn't get the traffic that you know, walking in, like we figured in Times Square, there would be people who would love to come to the show. Okay, well, they never made it to the basement. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they never really did. And, you know, when and the Zuckers would have a, a, a Sunday morning would provide a lox and bagel breakfast for all the vendors that had to cost them $10,000. Okay, for, you know, for, for the same people who were there, you know, for, for two or three days and had to live down in the basement where it was 220 degrees. I'm, of course, mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating, but it was, mm-hmm. it was very warm. And you still didn't get the support of some of the people, who, you know, who uh, you would think would have supported the show and would want it to happen. Okay, so, you know, and, and, and I want to go on to one more thing, which, you know, Mario and I discussed this when we were in L.A., Years ago, people would come to these shows with thousands of dollars to spend at a pen show. And they would go into their pockets and pull out $100 bills and buy vintage stuff that was going, it, it was amazing, and spend a lot of money, okay? You know, there's, there's a whole story about us finding a pen on Long Island that sold for $34,000, okay? And it was a, it was a very strange waterman. But you, the people who come to shows now are very young, and they do not look to spend the kind of money that some of the older people do. And Mary and I discussed this. We've discussed this in Los Angeles. They come in. They want a twenty-five dollar uh, pen with shimmering ink, and they walk around and they look at all the beautiful vintage pens and say. That's really nice, but I don't know anything about them. And we tried to help them understand that the, these pens are treasures, and they really are not into it. They're more into the, uh, buying a, a cheap notebook to blog and, and writing everything down and, and doing that. And they're not looking for the vintage pens. And that's why the business itself, and I don't know if Mario will agree with me, has changed over the last, you know, really since the pandemic. It has really changed. The new people who come in are a young couple. They're usually about 25 or 26, okay? And they walk in together and they want to know, but they really don't want to know about vintage. They mm. really only want to know about the more modern, you know, kinds of pens that are out there. And you read about it. I read about it online all the time, you know? My Twisby broke. What do I do, you know? You don't hear somebody say, my Mont Blanc broke. What do I do? Although I did have that happen today, so we're working mm-hmm. on that. But really and truly, the younger people do not really look at, have that vintage passion. I'm using that term because I think that's the term that, that we, we really, you know, somebody t- whips out a, a beautiful Waterman pen from 1910, and they look at it, they say, that's nice. Where do I get the $10 pen? And, and that's the change in, in, in this particular um, you know, hobby. The older guys that were around, so, and some of the guys that were, you know, were around for years, I mean, I, 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 I present the name Larry Liebman, 
and, and, and he is one of the foremost experts in this world on some of the vintage pens, has oh, just an amazing collection of vintage pens. But who's going to buy it? That's my question. You know, I, 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 you know and uh, that, that's, the, that's the new face of this hobby. It really mm -hmm. is. And, and you know, people come to a show, they pay their $10, but we lost so many people in the last 10 years who were the biggest purveyors of pens in the country. Okay, really and truly, uh, Cliff Harrington, uh, these are names that just were uh, amazing. Uh, um, you know, uh, Gary Lira, who, who, who had an amazing website every other month that he put out some of the most beautiful pens in the world and traveled the world to do pens, okay? And there, there are five or six more that we've lost in, in, their, in you know, and they're not going to be replaced. And what's happening is that their collections, truthfully, are being sold backdoor from everybody, but a lot of people are not going to invest that kind of money in those those collections of vintage. You know, mm -hmm. they just I, I and and I I say that you know I say that with uh, you know sadness I really do because these guys really used to come to shows I I remember going to shows in Washington D.C. where on Friday night guys would come in with a million dollars worth of pens and put it on a table and people would fight to get to the pens so they could buy pieces of that collection. And, and I was in L.A. show, and Mary and I sat at the bar, and we had a drink. We certainly didn't buy pens that night, right? And my, I, you know, it just wasn't something that really went on. The, and these people had a passion. You talk about passion. Oh, my God. These, these people are, are, are just, you know, were amazing when it came to, you know, their collections. And who knows? I think it has a lot to do with how society has changed in terms of what people do with products when they have them you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i think it has a lot to do with the fact that people are very passionate about fountain pens now in a different way as you were saying but they're passionate about what it can do for them and how it can help them communicate in an analog way in a modern in a modern world so there's a lot about vintage pens that are not appealing to I think the younger generation because they may not be as practical for example let me just take the Conklin crescent filler from 1910 1920 the crescent filler was an innovation that was more than impressive for 1898 into the 1920s I also think though that that system even though innovative at the time is extremely outdated now, right? So when it comes to people trying to, you know, fill pens quickly or carry them with them or do things in a more practical way, I think it's just hard, it's a hard sell to tell them, okay, well, this is this is from 100 years ago. It's really awesome 100 years ago. It won't help you achieve your goal in your journaling that you're trying to achieve now. But it's really awesome. They're going to be like, oh, that's great. But what about this pen here? How much is this one? Oh, this one here is 60 bucks. It's a Twisby. It's, it fills. It has a lot of ink capacity. I don't have to change the sack. And it doesn't dry out. I think that's where their mindset is at. And I think that's – it's the face of – it's like, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. The analogy I use is every generation from, you know, 
200, 300 years ago till now loves music, but the medium of how they consume music has changed. I remember when cassette tapes were the way I listened to music, but now the way I listen to music isn't something I can't, I can't even hold it. It's, it's a digital download or it's a stream, right? So the passion for music is there. It's just the, the way we consume it is different. Hey, did we just lose Mario? I don't know where he went. His phone, yeah, knowing him, his phone ran out of, uh, uh, of just, you know, maybe. A no, he would have said something. I think so. So everybody watching, if you suddenly just realize Mario or anybody listening, if Mario is suddenly gone, it has something to do uh, with the fact that he was using his Riverside FM app. And I think that's what it is. So I, I just texted him, told him to come back, that we don't hold anything against him. <laughs> but I mean, I think that it's definitely, it's definitely, there is definitely a place for vintage pens, but I think it's definitely smaller. I, there's a lot of people who love vintage pens out there, but I, but I think that it's definitely true that there's a lot more people that love modern pens. And I think, I think we're fortunate that those people who appreciate the modern pens even exist. And that because they exist, you're able to do what you do in terms of the pen show, which I want to talk about the pen show a little bit more. Sure. Knowing that there is change in the way people consume fountain pens and the way things are now, and you want to bring the New York Metropolitan Pen Show, formerly known as the Long Island Pen Show, to the more to the forefront of fountain pen shows. What are you going to do? If what what are your plans to do this? Well, the first thing that I think was important is we actually had five or six people fly in from Europe. Okay, the European you know, buyers came in for the show last year, mm -hmm. this year, you know, and came in and and actually bought a lot of, you know, bought and sold a lot of vintage. Now mm -hmm. we we know the the people that we'd like to get to come to the show, okay, and we know that there are people around the metropolitan area who are very large collectors. I mean, I know one of the people who sponsors our show is a, a gentleman named Eric Blumenkrantz, who has probably the best collection of Mont Blanc pens I have ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, he really is a collector and a, a procurer of some of the most amazing pens. and. I'd like, like, it would be wonderful if we get a chance to go and see what he does have in, in his office because it's absolutely amazing. But he also lives in the metropolitan area and he also sponsors our show. So we are looking to upgrade that end of the, uh, of the show. Okay? So wait, so what, this guy deals with a lot of Mont Blanc collections and their vintage pens? Oh, absolutely. He has. Okay. So I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just trying to put no, this together okay. and I don't want to sound rude. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to understand. So we're talking about a modernizing hobby, a hobby that's modernizing. And it's clear that the direction that the hobby is going is into more modern pens as opposed to vintage pens, that the vintage pen market although existent, is diminishing as time goes on more and more. Definitely a smaller percentage than it right. was. Right. So your solution to bringing a small show like the New York Metropolitan Show is by implementing more vintage pens? 
No. The, the answer is, is that a lot of people are very into smaller makers, individual makers who make um, unique pieces of artwork. Mm -hmm. okay? And they are, th there were, I would say, 10 or 12 at our show the last time. Hopefully we'll have more this time. Okay. But uh, being in California and, be, and at the LA show a couple of weeks ago, I would say a good 25% of the vendors there were small makers of beautiful pens. Some of the stuff was absolutely, some of the celluloids are beautiful. Some of the people make their own celluloids. Some of the people get, you know, uh, uh, you, know you know, make their own or some of them buy, buy some very rare pieces. And, and many of these vi people are making, uh, using vintage materials with a modern flair to it. Okay. Uh, there's a guy named Tim Cullen. I don't know if you know, ever, ever saw his name, but he makes some of the most beautiful modern pens with beautiful nibs and, and hand engraved nibs and hand engraved. Um, the, Mario's, I think, on the way back. There hey, he there you are, Mario. Hand, you know, engraved. Uh, My apologies, guys. My phone just kicked me out. That's all right. I'm sorry. My, Michael, go ahead. So there, continue. The, these guys are making magnificent stuff. I mean, really and truly, it's it it's it. And I have some, and I'll, you know, when we get a chance to, I'll mm -hmm. show you. But this stuff is, first of all, modern, okay, and artwork, pieces of of major artwork that, you know, somebody, everybody, not cheap, really not cheap in the seven hundred dollars to a thousand dollar range. But there are many of these vendors that are out there that are making magnificent stuff and it's starting to appeal to certain people but they have to upgrade what they're you know what they're doing tim uh, gets his makes his own nibs and does uh, amazing engravings on the clips and on the uh, on the nibs and they're so what fun. i'm what i'm kind of hearing you saying is and and mario you kind of bounced out because of your your phone connection it must be an android so um <laughs> I asked Michael, being that you guys have your an intention to bring a smaller show like the New York Metropolitan Pen Show to the forefront of pen shows in the same way that the Philly show is and the DC pen shows, what are your plans? And he was just explaining to us, you know, he he's going to involve more of these independent makers who make art and who make pens that are vintage in material but modern in manufacturer and i love all these ideas there are artistic pieces he's talking about about several different makers and the pens are not cheap they're between they're close to a thousand dollars between 700 and a thousand dollars and you know that's that's one of the things that you guys are planning on doing i just want to just i'm thinking about the conversation it's i think it's important to acknowledge that Yes, the newer generation of fountain pen users are in the 20s in, in age. They're their 20s. So if your plan is to bring a pen show to a more forefront in terms of shows, wouldn't it make sense to make it just more accessible? And yes, invite all the people who sell their, their individually made pieces of art that are seven to $100 to $1,000. But how are you going to reach the large group of people 
who are not the kind of people that can ex- be accessibly able to buy a $700, $1,000 pen. I mean, I would think that if you're trying to make this show bigger, you would have to reach out to more people who can purchase pens and may maybe be it in the range of like a hundred dollars or you know fifty to a hundred dollars wouldn't you wouldn't you say that sure i i i, I, I you I know think... but there are people and we had people at the at the you know at the long island show who specialize in those kinds of pens you know mm-hmm. fifty dollars to two hundred dollars okay and we encourage them to come and they you know again <laughs> It's it. There's a big difference between the people who spend fifty bucks and the people who spend two hundred dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. we're a couple of years off from those people being able to afford two hundred dollar pens. And I say it with respect because you know you, you you get a chance to talk to the people and educate them at the shows. And and Marion and I do that. Okay, we try to get people to to, to understand. And occasionally you get somebody who will you know step up in in in. in and, you know, people say in the old time, I never spent $350 on a pen before. Why am I buying a Mont Blanc 146? Mm-hmm. And you put the pen in their hand and let them write with it. And they, they there's something that comes out in, in their, you know, in their in their face about using something that really is, you know, a level above the, the regular, you know, regular level. And it's part of it is education. And it's going to take some time. Can, can we talk about the levels what you're referring to like for example what is it that you're that you're saying a one a bon blanc 146 you put that in their hand they write with it and they're saying seeing it above the level of whatever they were using what what is it that you're talking about when you say it's they're above talking, they're talking about above the 300 dollar level okay mm-hmm. uh, 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 you can get a mont blanc for $150 and, they, and it writes very nicely. And sometimes you tell a person, look, here's, here's a nice Mont Blanc, write with it, use it for a year and see if you like it. And they will come back to you at the next show and say, wow, that was a great pen. I'd like to now go a little further to the next level of mm-hmm. Mont Blanc. Okay, and Mont Blanc made some school pens that you know we sell for $100, $125, $150. And then the next level is going up to a 146 or something in a 142. Right, but, uh, you know, be in that that three hundred dollar range, okay, and then you know, eventually, you know, and, and at the same time, I'm going to show them a one three nine, you know, and they'll tell me how much is that pen, and I'll say four thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and they'll say, oh my god, oh, that's a Grail, and you know, when they come back, they they ask me where's the Grail pen, and I show them, you know, I show them a a one three nine, and you know, they say, well, when I get the when I when I make my, my fortune, I'm going to buy that pen, you know, and that then you create someone who has a passion, you know, along those lines, you know, it's, it, it, it's, I think it's mm-hmm. education, we have to educate them to, to, you know, I've been to the New York, uh, you know, the, the kids on in New York who have that they have a meeting, I think, Thursday, every, you know, every, every month in the city. And it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to go see these people, they really enjoy what they're doing, they enjoy writing, they're really involved in it, but they're a couple of years away from spending the big bucks from, you know, from, from, from their pen. And I understand that. I really do. Okay. Mm-hmm. But some of them have, you know, come around and, and you know, and uh, we, we hope they'll show up at the, at the show this, this, you know, this time because they are. I just, I just feel like if you're waiting for them to come around to, if you're waiting to, waiting for people to come around by, by your standards for the show in order to get the show to be bigger. I think you're going to be waiting a while. 
you know. Uh, you know, Mario. Mar- you know, Mario and I both, but we've we've both talked about it, and we've seen the the the. You know, I, the, a kid who works for me, I sold him his first pen at eleven, okay, and he's now working for me repairing Montblanc pens, okay, and he has a passion. He's a doctor. He's he's in the process of becoming a doctor. And he said to he says to everybody, I learned about pens when eleven years of age I, I bought my first pen from Mike. Okay? So yeah, it takes some time. And Mario will be around to be able to do that. And I'm gonna be laughing at him when he when he keeps trying to do it because I know he has that passion. But that's what you hope for. I'm, you know, you're not gonna become rich. Nobody that I know has become rich selling pens. I have to be honest with you. Okay, very few people. I think Brian Goulet does pretty well. Yeah, he does. (laughs) But Mario, um, I'm sorry, Michael, we're running a little short on time, but Mario, I want to ask you the same question. New York Metropolitan Pen Show, you want to bring it out of the little conference rooms that are Hofstra University into the forefront and to the spectrum of large pen shows. What is your plan to do that? Is it the same as what Michael has in mind, or do you have different ideas Maybe some parallel ideas, guys. I think um, I'll give you a quick but comprehensive answer. I think we're looking at three different things. Um, For starters, to take us back to what we were talking about, just as I fell off earlier, um, in terms of the connectivity between the buying audience and the vintage pens, um, I'll ask you to, in your own mind, traverse to other collectible industries And you see that the things that are uh, that the clientele are passionate about, that it's the stuff that they lived with, that they grew up with. You know, like I I, the kind of numbers that a Michael Jordan pair of sneakers will bring, I find mind-boggling. But clearly, there are people who remember him as a passionate part of their youth, and they have both the willingness and the desire and the means to spend an inordinate amount of money on a pair Mm -hmm. of Michael Jordan sneakers. And that is an example. You know, you were talking about the gaming industry earlier, the comic book industry. You know, there's all kinds of examples across multiple, uh, you know, genres of collectibles that you find this one thread really follows through. Something that connects somebody to a memory they have that, you know, stems back to their earlier years. We don't have anybody who's, we don't have the, con, you know, the, the conglomerate of people who are coming to shows right now who remember growing up with a pen that was made in 1946, you know? So that's why I believe we're seeing those kind of fall off a little bit. I mean, not entirely, clearly not. And there will always be people who are passionate about Americana early on. And I will tell you one of the things I love is that the Parker 51 is one of the most successful products that has ever been built in the United States. And I think that will stand for a very, very, very long time to come. The appeal of that, at least to me, does not fall off because it has a place in Americana that is outside and probably supersedes people who are passionate about collecting pets. We're talking about an item in an industry that completely changed the industry. Every other manufacturer had to produce something that competed mm-hmm. with this product. It mm-hmm. was that earth shattering. 
And of course, we've seen that with Apple as a more modern example. So that's one response I want to give to the change of the constituency at the shows. Um, I fully agree with what you're intimating, Roy. We cannot focus exclusively on bringing manufacturers in, and especially these, you know, handcrafted pens that are only going to be, you know, seven hundred dollars plus. I think the, I, I think the success comes in offering a right. range. It, that helps to give people a variety of things that they have act uh, that they have. Uh, exposure to both to purchase and to learn. And when you're looking at, let me give you a good example of someone who I am incredibly enamored with. I respect a great deal. Oh, I was, I was just going to, I was going to mention him too. His yeah. Pens. Amazing. Yeah. Perfect. This is a perfect example. His pens are, let's say from, you know, most of them, not <laughs> exclusively. We're looking at that. You know what? Hold that up and let me tell you what's in your hand. The man is capable of working with multiple materials. So you've got um, a shell or a horn, and that's right. A piece of wood for everybody. For everybody not he not watching, I'm holding wood. up a Ryan Krusak, the Legend Pen, the large size. It's made of moose antler and wood. Excellent pen. I bought it at a pen show when I met Ryan Krusak in DC 21. Yeah, I think it's 2021. That that is a perfect example of something. That I think, even though it's not inexpensive, that is an extraordinary mm. value. He draws the artwork, then has to transcribe his drawing so that it can be shrunk down to fit on a pen. Then he has to put it onto a computer program so that it can be inscribed on the pen. He's got to cut the antler to the shape of the barrel, shape the cap, and if I couldn't really tell because... Uh, of the size of my screen, but I'm just gathering that you have one of the caps that is etched. So that's a completely different process. So here's a man who has masterfully, uh, you know, learned a half a dozen dis different disciplines, including that mm -hmm. artwork. He drew that to bring you right. a pen of that magnitude. Now, I think that's pertinent because in my mind, that presents everything you could hope for to get someone who's interested in a $150 or $200 pen to consider the plausibility, the sensibility of spending You know, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that. when I went to the show, Tom, was it 21 that, when I bought this? We were together, I think remember? It was. it was 21. So I was in DC 21 and I went there with my wife and Tom, we, Tom, we all met, we got together, Tom, and Kieran and Sal was there. Sal, Sal was there, right? Tom's pop, Mr. Otto was there yes. as well. And I went, my intention was not to buy a single pen at the DC Pen Show. And I had my wife supervising me to ensure that did, I didn't buy a pen. Ended up buying this pen because it was so unique and the scrimshaw was amazing. And first of all, Ryan Kruzak what a handsome dude, well-dressed, had his family with him. It was just such a lovely sight. And it was like, you know what? I wasn't going to buy a pen. My wife is like, you, you know, this is something that you would buy. Not the Pilot Custom 91 that you can get from any other retailer. You can only get this pen from Ryan Cruzak. There's, the only, there's only one person that can make it, and that's great. And I think that 
This pen, just so you know, cost $425. And I think it was well worth it. It was a great price. It was worth every penny to me. You show me a, a Montblanc 146 for $705, at least now before the price increase. That's injection molded resin on a pen that has a snowflake on it because its name was built up over years. This man built this pen. Nothing comes close to the artwork and and capacity of thoughtfulness and artistry that went into this pen. Nothing comes close. And me being the generation that you're talking about, although I'm not in my 20s, although I may look at, I, you know, <laughs> me being that generation that's not into vintage, this pen appeals to me because it appeals to me. It's not because anything connects me to my past or it, it was anything that I grew up with. But having said that, there are a lot of things I love that are, like, for example, Nintendo. I don't care what they put out. I always buy Nintendo and I always buy the Mario games that I never finish playing because when I was a kid, I love, remember playing the little Mario beep, 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 right? Now, what is, so there are people who are, yeah. You know what my was father's that? name is, Ryan? You know what my father's name I'm going to go with Mario? No, Luigi. No, that's mine. Luigi, okay. Luigi. That is awesome. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I my thing to. is like, I, I, my, my question is, you know, guys like Ryan Krusak would be the answer, I guess, right? Because with the new, new fountain pen generation, the new hobbyists, it's hard to give them a product that connects with their past, being their past didn't include fountain pens, right? Like Nintendo got me because they can connect to my past with Mario. What is the fountain pen Mario for these new people? Or is there is there one? Pokemon. <laughs> right, but there's no fountain pen that's that's the, you can't catch a Pokemon, Pokemon with a fountain pen. You know what I mean? So and there's nothing that connects the fountain pen the new generation of fountain pen users with their past because they like I said, fountain pens didn't didn't exist in their past. So what can you do to bring them in even more if you can't connect with their past the way Mario connects with my past? And I think the answer is to show a variety of things that are appealing in that are made from a variety of materials that are made in a variety of places around the globe that just represent the great variety of uh, writing instruments that are made. I mean, buying a Crusack and buying a, a Jonathan Brooks or buying a, a Platinum Okay, so it looks like it looks like he's having some connectivity issues, but he was going he was going on to a, he was going on to say that buying a a platinum, buying buying a Ryan Crusack, buying some of these pens are super crazy that are super crazy unique. Although I see where he's going, he's offering them a range of pens that that give them just access give them accessibility to different materials, different kinds of artistic experiences i think the one thing that we have to always consider though is the accessibility so you can offer them a whole wide variety of different artistic styles and creations but if they can't afford it as michael said they're just a few years off from being able to spend that kind of money mm -hmm. what do you do about those people because they're the majority they, they definitely are and we, we discussed this you know in in uh, la and I, I agree with you 100%. 
what we have to do is shrink that time between now where they can't get there and having a passion for something that they really want to acquire over the next couple of years. And, and that comes with an educational factor. Okay? Mm-hmm. That comes with wanting something that, that you, know, you, want the, you want those Michael Jordan sneakers. So mm-hmm. you, know, you may not be able to afford them now, but maybe you put a couple of dollars away and in a year from now or two years from now, you go and you buy them. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what you, we're hoping. And, and, and you're right, it's, it, it may not come very quickly, but I do see people come back to me. Uh, one of the things I do do is when I, especially at, at some of the shows, I give pens, inexpensive pens to children. And parents will bring their kids back the next year and say they use that pen and they want to get something a little better than that. And, and I do have some, you know, some, some children that have come back to me three and four years, okay, and, and say they, their parents say they can't wait to come to the show because they want to find something a little, little better for them to use. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's educational. You know, it, it, you, I don't know if that's the answer. I really don't, to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. I do see people that come back to me frequently, okay, year after year, and they're passionate about it. And sometimes you just have to build that passion in people. You know, uh, hopefully that's, we do. That's fair enough. Well, listen, it's uh, we're way past our time. We gotta just uh, we gotta wrap this up. I feel bad that Mario is not able to to be here to wrap it up with us. I do understand that he was kind of he was a little bit blindsided with the scheduling technical difficulties. And yeah. he's, he's currently over, he's at, over on his way to bring his mom dinner tonight. Okay. To be yeah. Right. No, he told me that. He told me he was going, but he didn't know that there was a podcast happening tonight. So, so honestly, to be honest, I didn't know that he was going to be doing the podcast with us tonight until he called me to tell me I, well, he didn't I know that. Without him being, you know, fifty percent of of my right. My problem, so. That's good. Yeah. You know, maybe next time let him know, right? or or <laughs> let me let him know. <laughs> but listen, I want to thank you guys both, I uh, Michael and Mario, who's not here unfortunately because he's having technical difficulties thank you very much for enlightening us before we sign off we have to talk a little bit about the new york metropolitan pen show that is coming up very soon i think in a couple of months actually when is the new york april 22nd and 23rd at hofstra university student center okay okay and the mission is 12 dollars okay okay free parking Okay, and you can spend uh, if if you want to come for two days. The the, the Friday and say it's twenty dollars. Okay, for the for both days, and um, there'll be some very interesting discussions and uh, some interesting people giving the discussions. Um, again, you know, we we did a discussion at the last show with somebody who is the foremost expert on Chilton pens in the world. Okay, and you know how many people showed up for the the, the performance? None, okay, because there aren't too many people who know about Chilton fountain pens, and this guy has a, a, a world-class uh, collection of them, okay. But the, you know, the, the younger people don't didn't know anything about Chilton, which was, a, you know, a, a wonderful thing. And what I would do, what I tell people is, the internet is a wonderful source of all these things. And if you spend some time doing a little bit of research and you look at how these companies came into, into, into play. And many of them were from New York. You know, they were, they were from uh, downtown Manhattan. And, um, you know, the Eclipse Pen Company is, is an absolute treasure to study about that company, okay, and being in New York and then moving to Chicago, okay? 
And if, if you want to learn something and, and, uh, and enjoy it, you know, or look at what Waterman did in downtown Manhattan and the, the building which they, did, you know, they, they, they put down on the Lower East Side. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating to look into this stuff and, uh, and to research it. So, and if anybody wants some stuff, just call up and ask, and we'll be glad to give them some information about those things. Okay, and so the, the, the New York Metropolitan Pen Show is going to be happening on, as you said, April 22nd and 23rd. That is a Saturday. I'm assuming it's from 10 o'clock to 6 p.m.? 9 o'clock on, on Saturday, 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock, and then Sunday, 10 to 4. Okay, 9 to 5 on Saturday, 10 to 4 on Sunday. Admission is $12 each day if you come separately on each day. Or if you pay up front for both days, it's $20 admission. So make sure you guys check that out. There will be links, if you guys can provide us links. There will be links in the description below of the show notes today. NYPenshow.com, okay? NYPenshow.com? Yes. Okay, so we'll throw that, we'll throw that in the link below and, and all, all of your listeners will come and visit us okay and uh you know we're open to questions and whatever we'd like we'd like to see you guys there okay hopefully and mm -hmm. uh no it's we'll, we'll we'll spread the passion that's what i want I, and I, also everybody listening and everybody watching i would love to hear your feedback on what you think you would like to see or what you would like to see different from the long island pen show I'm sorry, the New York Metropolitan Pen Show. Write us at penentertainmentpodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment in the YouTube video below. And then I will make sure I pass it on to our friends, Michael and Mario, so that way they can have some feedback that could possibly help them. You could also reach out to us at penboyroy or at inkjournal on Instagram. You know, give us some ideas. What is it that you want to see from the Long Island New York Metropolitan Pen Show? <laughs> what is it that you've seen in the past? Have you been there? Do you plan on going? And if not, why? Write in. Let us know what you think. Love to hear your thoughts. And again, Michael, thank you for joining us. And Mario, I'm sorry you're not here. Thanks for joining us. Love you guys. Be well. Be safe. Stay inky. <laughs>